Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader. And in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult. And, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Patrick Von Schlag. Patrick is the president of Deep Creek Center. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jono. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And just to get started, can you give our listeners a window into what you do and, and who you are and a day in the life of Patrick right now? Oh, I can try. I run a consultancy that helps organizations utilize best practice frameworks to improve their organization's results. A lot of what we do helps people you know, adopt and adapt these capabilities in ways that are more pragmatic, that help them target where they want to focus and what kinds of benefits they're trying to achieve, and really to make sense of what can be very convoluted, complex topics. Yeah, that's a great uh, succinct explanation. Um, and so let's let's jump into uh, a bit about your story. I'd love to hear what are some of those moments as you look back and feel free to go back as far as, you know, even childhood, what are some of those moments that really shaped you becoming the leader and the person you are today, Patrick? So one of the experiences I got to have fairly early in my career was running uh, a division of a technical training organization uh, focused on networking training programs. And it became fairly clear to me, relatively young in age, that if you have really wonderful people, that leadership is very much about empowerment. Your people have needs and tools and information that they require. And after that, they largely require support and collaboration and facilitation and room to be themselves and to do their best. And the teams that I had the privilege of working with in those days were uncommonly successful, both in terms of the business results they generated and the level of almost rock stardom that the individuals themselves were able to achieve uh, in the industry. And it has everything to do with making space for them. So as a leader, I learned early the importance of servant leadership, of leading by providing people good tools and resources and support, and largely getting out of the way and letting them do the wonderful things they're capable of doing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really well said. I'm interested to know with the consulting that you do, as you look back when you were growing up, do you remember, was there a moment for you when, when maybe not even as a child, maybe in your teen years or, or a bit older, when did you first realize that you really wanted to, to do the sort of work you're doing now? Is there, is there any sort of moment that comes to mind that was a, a bit of a pivotal moment in, in you doing what you do now? 
Well, as a young child, I had a next door neighbor who warned me that I was going to eventually run out of words, that I was going to say all of the things I was going to be permitted to say. And by the time I was 30 years old, I wouldn't be able to speak anymore. But ultimately, I've always been interested in engaging ideas. I firmly believe that there are many solutions to different kinds of problems. I really like problem solving in general and working together with people to try to come up with innovative approaches to solve problems. And that's been part of my approach to engaging in high school sports and running small teams in college and, you know, ultimately became an important part of my career aspirations as I grew. Yeah, that's, uh, that's wonderful. You, you talked a little bit about servant leadership already. Can you, I, I know this term gets thrown around a lot, but I, I really do believe uh, like you do that it's, it's an incredibly powerful and uh, core sort of idea that can help any leader really lead people better um, and from a good place. Can you unpack what you see servant leadership is and maybe what it isn't as well? I would certainly like to try. Uh, servant leadership begins with a deep commitment to the good experiences and growth of your people, that you have to commit to the idea that your people have goals and dreams and aspirations and enormous talent and capabilities. And that as a servant leadership, the way that you have teams outperform and deliver all inspiring results is to give them good tools, create a culture where they're able to experiment and try things, and you're able to reinforce and enable them to ultimately come up with good solutions and innovative approaches to problem solving. I firmly believe that most teams and most of the individuals who work in our organizations are deeply committed to trying to do a good job, to trying to be as efficient and effective as they can and to try to serve their customers. But one of the places where we consistently fall short is in engaging them and asking them, how can we help you to be more efficient, to be more effective, to have better quality of information? so that you can work more collaboratively and effectively in your teams and produce better results. Not surprisingly, people who are really close to the work know where the bodies are buried, if you know what I mean. They know where the challenges are, and they can bring more effective, more innovative, and much better targeted solutions to problems if you can enable them to do that. Servant leadership is not envisioning yourself to be the team's butler or some kind of lackey, but what it does mean is that you're deeply committed to their long-term success, and by that you're working to provide them tools and resources and information that will help them help you and help them help themselves in their long-term aspirations. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. I, I'm interested to know, I know it might sound like a silly question, but you, you explained that so well around actually asking your people how you can help them. What would you say to a leader who's listening, who's going, okay, I, I know I need to do that, but um, how, how do I do that? Like, how do you, 
how have you seen for yourself and other leaders what does it look like to like you said to to not be the butler for your team but to really care and find out and ask the people who know what's really happening on the front line uh, what does that look like in in real day-to-day leadership for a lot of leaders it means being able to engage their people without expecting that they have to be omniscient or that they have to have the answers to all the questions that their team will bring to them. I'm actually a very big fan of an organization called Let's Grow Leaders, and their chief executive officer is a wonderful person named Karen Hurt. And she describes a concept she calls confident humility. In other words, you engage people and you bring to them the confidence that you have background and experience and in many cases, access to tools and resources, but you're not approaching them from a sense of, I know all of this and you don't know all of this. It empowers the individual instead to ask questions, to learn, and to be able to gain from different perspectives and different expertise. So I would encourage any leader that is struggling with this idea to think frankly about how concerned they would be if their boss tried to give someone their requirements for something. Because their boss doesn't know their needs the way they do. And the same is true for your people. Their hands are a little dirtier on the ground. They know some things that maybe we don't fully understand. And so it's important to be a good listener, to ask questions, to pay attention to their experience, and then to engage them to ask about what else is missing, what types of information, what types of capabilities, what types of skills could enable their teams to gain effectiveness, to be able to improve their efficiency and so on. Yeah, I really like that concept. That's great. Did you say, was it confident humility? Confident humility, that's right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, a, really, that's a really good phrase. I like that. Um, what about in your work, I guess for those listening, can you unpack a little bit? I know you mentioned already what you do, but what does your work as a consultant look like helping, uh, helping leaders? Uh, can you unpack a little bit of what you do? And, and then what I'd also love to ask is, if there are any stories from your work with clients that really uh, that, that stand out as great sort of aha moments or transformations, anything like that? It'd be great to hear some of your stories from, from working with clients, Patrick. I, I would certainly begin by suggesting that most of these customers begin by looking at best practice frameworks and guidance that are often in the thousands of pages and provide a dizzying array of knowledge, skills, recommendations, metrics, and it's overwhelming. And for many organizations, there comes a basic moment of okay, I see all of these things. I don't have the resources, capabilities, or tolerance to be able to embrace all of this at once, nor is it necessarily targeted toward the distinctive needs of my organization. So how much of this can I leverage and use, and how can we adapt it in ways that make sense in our organizational context? And so one of my large customers is a hospitality company, 
and they are uh, constantly looking to leverage good organizational capabilities, but they're also a very, very large organization with large-scale structures and process designs and you know, a fairly substantial level of political layer challenges that they have to deal with. And so to a certain extent, you know, for organizations like that, it becomes the opportunity to give them permission to win a little bit at a time, to be able to choose smaller battles or certain areas of focus where they want to begin experimentation and to give them permission to try some things to see what works well in their cultures, to expand on the benefits as they start to get a little bit of momentum. Yeah. But ultimately not to feel an obligation to adopt a hundred percent of any of these frameworks. And one one phrase I commonly use when people talk about all of this stuff is at some point there's a so what question. Right? Why do we care about this? Why, how, how does this help our customers? How does this help us to better serve them, to better gain information, to get better quality feedback so we can learn faster? And so, you know, all of these types of organizational capabilities require you know, both adaptation and a certain sense of doing this in bite-sized consumable chunks as opposed to trying to do broad-based organizational change right out of the gate. Yeah, that's a wise uh, approach. What about stories? Are there any uh, are there any stories, case studies, I, I guess anything that that's really stood out for you in the, not only recently but in you know, uh, for the for the work you've been doing for for a long time. Uh, any favorite stories that you'd like to share with listeners around uh, transformation or uh, people, it doesn't have to be big things either. Sometimes the meaningful things are, <laughs> for some reason, really stick with us, and, and they're, they're smaller stories. So I'm doing a lot of work right now with organizations that are trying to balance their interests in taking advantage of digital transformation and digital business models, while at the same time wrestling with the practical realities of cybersecurity and cyber risk. And it's really quite an interesting balance because you really can't have one without managing the other, right? You want the digital business capabilities because it offers tremendous opportunities for revenue and profit growth, for cost cutting, for scalability, serving customers in fundamentally new ways. But it also has the effect of exploding the size and scale of your threat landscape. So if you can't do it safely, you can't really have the benefits, right? You're effectively creating a whole bunch of false value that will catch up with you in short order. So as organizations and some of the customers that I've been working with to embrace digital business opportunities, I've also worked hard to try to help them balance that with establishing and improving the nature of how they manage their cyber risks. And again, it's all about optimization, right? You're never going to get any of this stuff exactly perfect, nor is that even cost viable for most of us. But what you can do is figure out how to identify and prioritize what you need so that you're making the best use of your resources. 
So I'm having a lot of fun working with a number of customers right now that are trying to figure out the most optimal balance <laughs> of those things. What? Um, <laughs> that's such a good question. What? What? What advice would you give to those who are listening who? heard you just talk about that in terms of that, um, you know, striking that balance and went, oh, yeah, that's that's really something I haven't thought of and I do need to, you know, maybe they're at a point in scaling an organisation or where they're, they're having an aha moment listening to this going, that's probably something I do need to really look into. What would be sort of some initial advice around how to start thinking about um, striking that balance that you're working with a lot of companies around? So there are global frameworks that help organize this, right? And one of the benefits of some of those frameworks, I do a lot of work with one called the NIST cybersecurity framework, is that it reduces the conversation to functional business language. How do we identify what we have? How do we protect it to the best extent that we can? How quickly can we detect if our protections have broken down in some way? And then how quickly can we respond and recover, right? You can use a framework like that to assess your capabilities. And inevitably, what you end up finding are very large numbers of gaps of various sizes. But ultimately, it provides an input to make informed decisions about priority. So there's a lot of things you could do, but what are the two, three, four, five things you should focus on first? Because you have that kind of a way to roll that information up and make it more actionable from a business stakeholder point of view, you can both make informed decisions about those investments and also, you know, the business stakeholders, the board, the senior executives can have appropriate visibility into how and why those investments make sense in support of their digital business strategies so that they can, you know, not only achieve the strategic goals, but do it in a way that protects themselves as well. Yeah, that's, um, I like the uh, the uh, the framework that you talked about. How it uh, breaks it down into real business language. I can imagine that would be a challenge for a lot of leaders because so much of the language around cybersecurity could be uh, feel foreign, and you know I'd get lost a couple of sentences in as soon as there's a word you know you don't understand. You go, oh, I don't know what that is, and and uh, it's um, so that's that's I, I can see how that would be really helpful. It really is, because in many situations, when organizations start looking at cybersecurity control families, whether they're looking at ISO standards like ISO 27001 or the NIST 853 or 870-171 frameworks or what have you, it just very quickly devolves into very detailed, very technical conversations that leave all the business stakeholders behind. And ultimately, what it does is it divorces these business stakeholders from the fact that this is a business risk. These are enterprise level risks that need to be managed at an enterprise level. But it doesn't mean that we can't actually achieve that unless we can also do that with appropriate business prioritization, business languages, business cases, and making, you know, being able to do appropriate portfolio management. So, 
that's why I'm a big fan of this particular approach, because it helps us get beyond IT talking at business stakeholders to have a more coherent conversation about how and where the resources need to go. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. Brilliant. Well, let's jump into Leadership Express. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You ready, Patrick? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, firstly, what's a book that you've gifted a lot to other people? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I am an extraordinarily big fan of Gene Kim's The Phoenix Project. If you have not read it, it is a must-read book for just about anyone because it helps you look at the pragmatic realities of projects today and the dealing with risk and uncertainty and how and why we want to use more adaptive approaches simply because of the pace of business change. Oh, that's fantastic. I haven't, ha I haven't had that recommendation and I haven't read it. Just one more time, what was the name of the book and, and the author? The book is called The Phoenix Project. The author is a gentleman named Gene Kim. And uh, be careful if you're going to open it and read it. It's written as a novel and it's sufficiently compelling that you might not be able to put it down. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's the, that's the best sort of warning about a book. I like that. <laughs> okay, any great podcasts you're listening to or other sources right now that you're reading, watching, listening to? I do listen to Karen Hurt's podcast that she runs on Let's Grow Leaders. Um, I think they're very insightful. Uh, they provide a whole lot of good, rigorous uh, guidance on a number of different topics. So if you've not checked out her podcast, I'd encourage you to do so. Brilliant. Great recommendation. Uh, what is a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I learned a very hard lesson in the mid-1990s when I got into a squabbling conversation with a customer over a satisfaction issue. And it ended up com compromising in a very fundamental way the relationship we had with that particular customer. And it really taught me that any particular individual circumstance needs to be balanced in the corresponding structure of the whole relationship, that you're trying to sustain a business relationship over time, which involves inevitably some challenges that we have to work through that really are very modest in the broader context of the overall business relationship. Right. I was recently uh, reviewing the new guidance for what is called the Business Relationship Management Professional Credential, which is provided by an organization called the BRM Institute. And as part of that, they are heavily emphasizing this notion of you know, strategic relationship management being fundamentally about value creation, about building sustainable partnerships. And it brought me back to those moments when I first really learned those lessons. And they're very important in any relationship context, whether you're working with business partners, suppliers, regardless of your job role. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a wonderful story and a wonderful lesson. Uh, I think it's it's so good. Can, can you just unpack a little bit of uh, 
that uh, that framework just for those who are sort of <laughs> I always think of the listeners who are scribbling notes at a particular point going oh my goodness Patrick that's that's something I'm going through I'm in the middle of that sort of situation and so how do, how should I approach this differently can you just unpack a little bit of um, whether it's the framework or just how you think about relationships um, now that you know on the other side of that sort of uh, experience you had in the 90s as a relationship manager you're trying to build how each how you see one another and how you engage with one another right in the very beginning if you're trying to you know begin a customer supplier relationship you may be very happy to have an order and to be able to take that order and be able to fulfill and deliver that over time you want to be able to mature that relationship Maybe first to being a reliable repeat service provider, maybe over time growing into more of a trusted advisor role, where now the customer engages you and asks your thoughts, asks your inputs. At the most strategic level, maybe they even invite you to the table to have a serious conversation about their business strategies, their business goals, and what potential you see to be able to help them identify and achieve their larger strategic organizational goals. While, of course, you as a service provider have opportunities there too. In order to take that journey, you have to envision what it would be like to have that kind of relationship with the customer. What are the dynamics look like? How do we demonstrate our commitment to creating value for them? and creating value for us. How do we establish and maintain those types of partnerships over time? What kinds of work do we have to do in order to be able to connect to their broader purpose organizationally and our broader purpose as a service provider in a more timeless way, right? So you have Mm -hmm. to have a deeper level of commitment to get there. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's really good. Thank you, thank you for sharing. Um, so, next question: What is a time management or productivity tip or a tool or resource you use? Oh goodness, there's a very interesting question. I tend to avoid using technology for technology's sake. I love drawing tools like Miro because they enable you to to sketch almost anything. And they're really almost infinitely flexible. So you can create electronic sticky notes or sketch something or draw whatever you're thinking or just take notes on something. Um, I, If you're interested in something that's more kind of how do you organize and share information with people, you know, tools like Jira and Confluence are real popular among my customer base. And we actually spend a whole lot of time helping them think about how to use those types of tools. Yeah, in a more pragmatic way that helps them get better results from that. Yeah. Um, those are probably a few. What What were those two tools you mentioned that your customers often use? Jira and oh, yeah. Confluence. Confluence, they're yep. Both They're both made by a company called Atlassian. Yes, yes, an Australian Australian company. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, yes, I don't know indeed. much else about Atlassian, but I do know they're Australian, so I always like to, <laughs> <laughs> to claim... Uh, for no they, reason at all. They, they do very, they do very good work, 
And tools like that are both very powerful and people often use 300% of what they need. And mm. so part of using those well is, again, being very thoughtful about which things they really do want to use and why yeah. so that they can leverage those capabilities to their most effective benefit. I imagine in your line of work as well, that would be another big area where you want to be talking to the people on the front line because if uh, what I've seen a lot is when you're, when you're wanting to implement something like that, um, particularly at a higher level in an organization, you can get all excited about the like you said, the 300% functionality and and uh, when really the people on the front line who are going to be using it are saying, we don't need all of that. This is actually, if we could just work out how to do this better, that would change our, our world. And if you can answer that question. So does, does that come a lot uh, up a lot in your work, actually in making sure you're engaging the people on the front line when you're rolling out something like uh, Atlassian's products? Oh, abs ab absolutely. And, and even more you have folks who are playing the roles of systems administrators for tools like that, who are trying to make the decisions for all the teams about which fields and functions they should use, which things are required and not required. And they don't ask. They don't ask their stakeholders about what's useful and what's not useful. And so they end up in situations where there are dozens of quote unquote, required fields that they have to complete that aren't value added and are just taking an enormous amount of cycles away from their ability to do their jobs. So again, to your point, I think you have this exactly right. You know, those folks need to spend more time with their people, watching them do their work, asking hard questions about, is this information needed? Is it useful? Yeah, you know, if we if we didn't collect this piece of information, would the world end? And you know, focus on what is really valuable and important. Yeah. That's so good. I think there's such wisdom in that. It reminds me of a couple of things, um, which is uh, we I, I love the parallels sometimes when you have something in software or IT, but it's so applicable to to every other part of leadership too that just gets me really excited because it's um sometimes we think they're completely separate but there's always the principles always overlap and there's um i don't know if you've come across greg greg McEwen, uh his books essentialism and effortless they're they're two of my favorite books um so they're they're probably ones i'd, I'd throw out there as as must reads for anyone who hasn't hasn't read those um effortless he talks about which has only been published in the past year he talks about the idea of instead of trying to reduce steps, go back and start from zero uh, or instead of trying to, sorry, instead of trying to simplify the process, go back, start from zero and actually try to eliminate steps altogether. Like, and, and actually that's what I loved about you. Uh, I love what you just said there. It's asking would we survive if we didn't have that functionality? And actually going back to square one and saying, okay, if we built this from zero and we imagined that we didn't have all these things that are that have, you know, for, for those different reasons come into play, um, how would we build it from from zero? And sometimes you can get rid of whole steps that that make sense because that's always how you've done it. But if you actually go back to zero and start from there, you can have these. And once again, as a leader, that's... That's something I hear again and again and again on this podcast is people talking about your job as a leader is to support your people. It's almost something that I've really learned from this, Patrick, is um, 
if a leader said to me, okay, Johnny, just give me five things that any leader could go and do just to start getting better at leadership, just go and do today. I feel like one of them would be no matter what your role is, go and get, go and get in the trenches with your people, particularly the higher up you are in an organization, the more important this actually is. Because if you can go and walk the floor with your people and watch how things actually happen, that's where so often you go, oh, I had no, I had no idea the fact that we're doing this from sort of corporate is making this part of your job really difficult. And if I can have that quick, you know, then if I actually understand, it's not just someone, you know, feeding back requests to me, I actually understand what my people are doing. And, and that's my job, like you said, as a servant leader, is to actually not to be the butler, but for the sake of um, the vision of the organization is to actually empower and support my people. No, that's really a good point because I mean, what you're describing, you know, it, it, people might be familiar with the term of a gamble walk or going to the gamba or the technique of value stream mapping. Yeah. You know, if you're not sure what you have, or even if you think you are, go see it. And then you'll know what you really have and you'll know how things really play out. Um, <laughs> I often am asked to help people think about alignment of, you know, what tools should we use or what process should we use? The Agile Manifesto got this exactly right. It begins with individuals and interactions. Who are my people? How do they engage with one another? How do we help make that work more efficiently and more effectively? Right. So if you think about, you know, that the context being how do I enable people, then it becomes easier to think about processes. How do I use processes to support my people? Then it's easier to think about tools. How do I use tools to support my processes to mm. support my people? Yeah, that's a brilliant lens. I really love that. Instead of that's such a better way to approach it rather than what tools can we use to get better outcomes full stop if you actually start by saying uh how can i support my people how can how can i enable my people to and and you know it's funny how often i hear people talk about great leaders uh in their world you know people who really they remember for a long time um the impact that that person had on them when they were leading them and so often the the words that come up are they they would always get things out of the way they would always clear out roadblocks for me whereas the opposite tends to be true when someone doesn't have a good experience with a leader sometimes the leader themselves can can either be a roadblock or create roadblocks they're not doing it on purpose obviously but that's incredibly frustrating but it's 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 such a pattern when people have really found a leader incredibly helpful and you drill down on it it always comes up well one thing they did is they were really good at finding out what was slowing me down what was making my life difficult and they would get in there and move things for me so it's very interesting to hear you say all of that you it makes me think of a particularly gifted leader that I worked for early in my career, a former IBM executive, former lead executive at Procter & Gamble. And he spent a lot of time with me, teaching me tools and techniques and helping me take a whole bunch of very unstructured, reasonably good ideas 
and given me some resources and some disciplines that I could use to take those ideas and to make them more tangible. And so, you know, I got to experience firsthand what it was like to have a servant leader type to provide me tools to take what mm. good tendencies maybe I had as a manager and to provide me some ways to organize and structure that so that I could better understand what I was trying to do. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and that's great to hear that you, that you had that experience. Uh, well, I'll, let me get back to Leadership Express because that's the fun of doing this. It always brings up these really interesting um, tangents that that I that I love. Uh, let's ask uh, one more one more question just to to wrap it up, Patrick. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? I would say be bold and experiment. Try things. You know, you want to take safe to fail experiments, but most experiments don't end up working. There's lots of historical analogs that say that it takes many experiments, many tries to come up with real solutions. Famously, Thomas Edison was have said that he failed to invent a light bulb 9,999 times before he found one that worked. And you see lots of that in the, in, the modern culture. Organizations make people gun shy sometimes. And I do hope that most of your listeners are working in organizations where it's safe to try things. It's also safe to fail and learn and share so people can identify new opportunities and innovate off other people's mistakes. Remember, lots and lots of the great inventions of this world have come from mistaken attempts to do other things. <laughs> so um, I, I, I'll leave you with one last quotation from an American baseball player of many years ago. Uh, don't look back. Someone might be gaining on you. Right. So <laughs> you want to keep keep focused, keep moving forward and uh, take advantage of the lessons learned, but try new things. We yeah, need your innovations. We need your leadership. Yes, wonderful advice. Uh, in another podcast, someone mentioned and, and attributed it to Bill Gates, uh, the statement um, that if you one of the one of the best ways to find out how successful an organization is is to um, is to watch closely at how they how they treat failure. Um, and that really stuck with me because I thought that's so that's so true. You just uh, you just explained it really well. Um, so a wonderful wonderful thought for those who want to connect with you, uh, whether they'd be interested in working with you or just want to reach out because something really really helped them. Where can people find you online, Patrick? So best way to find me is through my name Patrick von Schlag or my company Deep Creek Center on LinkedIn. They can also learn more about us on the web at deepcreekcenter.com. Brilliant. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. This has been another really exciting episode. Um, don't forget, we also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast. So there's two other places where you can get a question every day to put a stone in your shoe as a leader or listen to things like, uh, you know, seven tips on how to cast vision and and, uh, and other sort of um 
packages like that that I put together on the John White Leadership Podcast. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Patrick for coming on and, and sharing uh, some amazing stories and some great insights and frameworks that uh, I know have really challenged me and, and uh, got me excited about uh, some different ways to think about leadership than before we chatted. So I know that that always means it's going to be helpful for a lot of listeners too. So thank you so much for coming on, Patrick. It's been a joy. Jono, thank you so much for having me. I very much enjoyed our conversation. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And, you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders, and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively, and that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, Jono White, 
or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.